Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. He konai ipurangi tēnei, nā Bird of Paradise Productions, mō te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I think I should get my daughter into league. Yeah. Because yeah. league's a um, game that um, you um, have to have your um, person beside you um, back. Like, if a player runs and then bumps your, your teammates, so if you need to come in and tackle that guy. So, yeah. <laughs> yep, this is me, talking rugby league with teenage boys. I had no idea this series was going to take me so far out of my comfort zone. But here we are in Ōtara at a school where a young doctor is asking, what would happen if looking after people's health was something we did before they came into hospital? Like, way before. From Bird of Paradise Productions for RNZ, called Emma Espinaraho. And this is episode three of Getting Better, Southside. I first got to know South Auckland when I did my fourth year placement at Middlemore Hospital. That's where I met Dr. Vainga Altanga Vaya. Kia ora. <laughs> good to see you. Yes. So it's it's not a, quite a surprise visit to the principal, but almost. <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit, yeah. She's, she's pretty awesome. Vainga meets us outside Sir Edmund Hillary Collegiate as the junior, middle and senior school students pile in through the front gates on a warm summer's day at the end of term. Nowadays, Vai is a driving force behind an ambitious plan for a sports academy here at the school. But when I first met him, he was a junior doctor at Middlemore. He was thinking of doing surgery back then, but he'd also started volunteering as a coach here. I really love league. I played league when I was a kid at Margaret East, and, you know, local club, and then um, played a bit when I was at uni, and then a bit when, once I'd finished uni. Um, but that was an easy thing for me. It was just something I loved and I could do. When my friends who... Um, who are doctors, uh, two Māori brothers that are, are doctors at, here in um, Counties Monaco, they um, had already been coaching the teams here at Hillary um, for two years and they said, come on board, we've already kind of broached this idea about this academy with the school and they're, they're, they've given us a agreement and principle um, to go ahead with it. So I came on board. So the other two doctors Vi is talking about, Woods and Huani, I didn't know them personally back then, but I was aware of them, the same way you're aware of all the brown doctors. I'm really sick of mainstream reporting where Māori and Pacific are run together as a single brown problematic entity. But the majority of the students at this school are Māori and Pacific, and instead of brownness being stereotyped and stigmatised against a white norm, here it's being recognised as a source of strength, of mana. I remember hearing about the rugby league coaching when I was at Middlemore and understanding it as being less about league training per se and more as a whakamana sort of thing for young men. Not just about getting fit, but a way to feel good about yourself as well. For me, the, the purpose has been that, you know, literally the boys would miss class throughout the whole day and then they'll turn up at training after school. <laughs> so there's some gold in there and there's, some, there's something that's motivating them to come to training to enjoy, that they enjoy and, and if we can somehow hook into that and, and leverage off that, then, then that's just the very start. And, and eventually, if we can get them through school uh, well enough so they can go into whatever careers, whether it's a university or somewhere else, that as long as they've got what they need to excel, 
then that's going to mean that their family is going to be better off if they were in jobs that were paying less than the minimum wage. That in 10 years' time, they're still doing the same job. They own families. It's mm. kind of just leads on from there, and, and eventually they're the ones that end up on dialysis mm. at 50 years old, you know, with less than five-year life expectancy. So that's the connection for me, and that health starts very early on in, in ways that aren't necessarily health Mm. Uh, overtly have. It's, mm. it's, a, it's a holistic approach. Okay, so it's a big jump from playing league at school to not ending up on a dialysis machine at Middlemore. But Vi is talking about really simple interventions that build fitness, physical and mental, and give kids a better chance as they start out in life. The need is real. During my time at Middlemore, I fell in love with South Auckland. It's an amazing community. But from a health professional's perspective, there are massive frustrations out here too. We face real struggles and, and the school is... It's most definitely probably one of the best or worst examples, whichever way you want to look at it, in, in regards to socially, economically, politically, even that uh, kind of the short end of the stick every, mm. every single time. The choices that are made time and time again at levels that the people on the ground, whether it's staff or patients, have no power over, determine a lot of the outcomes that our people experience every day. And you know what that looks like in practice for communities here, eh? It might be a fight to close a cheap liquor outlet located next to a school or preventing yet another fast food chain from setting up shop alongside hundreds of others who pretend they're not targeting these communities. A recent and rare win was the group here in Ōtara that got together 2,000 signatures and prevented another KFC from opening in their neighbourhood. Now, historically, there's been a lot of paternalism in public health. You can see it in the 101 classes at university. There is always a student who suggests cooking classes or health education as the solution to obesity-related illness among our people. Make better choices is the rallying cry of the saviours from the ivory towers of academia. They think that individual choice is the sole variable here, not the proliferation of junk food retailers in brown neighbourhoods and, recent success in Ōtara notwithstanding, the near impossibility of affecting change at a structural level, where it really counts. Vayinga is conscious of the fact that there's a knife edge between looking out for your people's best interests and becoming paternalistic. But how else should you use your own learning to help your community? Being Samoan, growing up in South Auckland, uh, going to King's College on a scholarship, then to university, and kind of, I don't know, just recently I've been thinking, man, was there, was there a point that I was suddenly woke? I don't know. <laughs> I, I hate all those, those kinds of things, but... I think there's been some some point probably more recently, uh, nearly 10 years since I graduated, but my siblings and I have kind of come to our realisations ourselves about, you know, whatever we do do, that we can never get away from our responsibility, not in an obligatory way, but a kind of love for our community to ensure that, that we're moving forward together. So uh, I did come to a point where I felt, oh, look, I can't, choose a career within medicine where I'd just be putting band-aids on and I'd be at the bottom of that cliff Mm. just trying to patch them up where we need to be doing things a lot earlier Mm. to help. So the school has been that. Many of the students at Sir Edmund Hillary Collegiate come from communities that are doing it tough. During the coronavirus lockdown, the middle school principal was publicly worried not only that kids wouldn't be able to do online classes, but also that families might not have enough food. It's a decile one school. But Vi's plan for a sports academy that's grown out of his experiences coaching is simple, straightforward and ambitious, and crucially, backed up by research. There's an area of sport-based positive youth development 
where the three main tenets are starting from strengths, uh, the strengths of, of the young people, that they've, they've already got strengths and that's where you start. Um, that the relationships that you have around them determine how well they do in their development. Mm-hmm. And the third one is that you teach life skills and resilience through the activities and that those transferred into other realms, whether it's sport, education, elsewhere. So it's, it's common sense. So the journey has been that there's already been a program going on, uh, collaboration between Sport New Zealand and uh, Ministry of Education for about seven years where a program has been rolled out and most schools have kind of volunteered um, but throughout the country where they've used a cross-curricular integrative approach to the curriculum, so using whatever subjects and using sport as a context and teaching using the context. And there's been a bit of research looking at how effective it's been and, and it has been, there's some evidence that it's been, been useful in terms of improving educational outcomes, especially other more broad things. So yeah, we're going to introduce that next year. Mm. And then the other aspects kind of along those three tenets of sports-based positive youth development we're looking at some mentoring, engaging with the families, and we'll spend next year kind of exploring what that means for the students, um, for the families here in the, in the school, wider school. Did they just talk to you about rugby stuff? No. Come to for school work as well. Like they come in and they chew off. Yeah, in their own yeah. time. They even get their dad too to come help us. <laughs> they have other tutors as well to come help us, help yeah. with the boys. Yeah. English, GN, like all sorts of subjects. They will um, make us do our work first. Yeah, they blackmail us. We <laughs> <laughs> if we want to play, we've got to do our yeah. work. These are some of the Rugby League First 13 at Sir Edmund Hillary Collegiate Senior School. They're the heart of the story. My name's Kaipatsi Nanisini and I play prop. My name's Tussie Smith. I play half lock and um, second round. Uh, my name is Raiden Fotu and I play um, centre. My name is David Tully, um, I play last man and hooker. The boys are a bit shy with us to start, but they opened up a bit when I asked what it's like to have three doctors showing up to coach them every week for the last few years. Doctors are very busy and stuff, and they don't get paid coaching us and tutoring us. And yeah, that's not being cocky like other teams in our school. Like, their coaches don't do that. And they're from outside of schools, too. Some of the coaches are within the school, like teachers in the school, they're coaches of the team. And they're from outside, and I think that's really good. Yeah, they help us. Yeah. (laughs) Does it matter that they're brown, too? Yep. Like, we can um, relate to them, like, and joke around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Always. (laughs) Like, they're really good at it. Like, we can just mock them as much and then they wouldn't care, they'll just mock us back. Kitty Tuketo, the principal of the school, has a background in fine arts. She's not huge on sports, a bit like me in that respect, but she's keen on Vi's plans because she can see there's more going on here than just a few games of league. I'm supportive of it because the background of the sports academy, or for want of a better word, sports and education for us, is that it's led by strong Māori mm. and Pacifica uh, leaders in the community. You know, the coaches, all three of them are doctors. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that doctors are the best <laughs> uh, are the best vocation, but it gives them credibility. Mm. And so you have a, a Samoan strong coach who is far Samoa, and then you have two other coaches, brothers, who are Māori, mm. who believe in mātauranga Māori and tikanga Māori and 
are able to come from te ao Māori and te ao Pākehā. So why would we not tap into mm. that strength? Now, Vai hates the word role model. I mean, of course he does, but he's animated by absolute ambition for his team. And the truth is, a lot of these, especially young men, probably don't have great role models. And and we're not saying that we're amazing necessarily, but, but, but it's an important part to kind of surround them with good mm. people, whether it's us or other good people, they're going to be, in a, be able to support them and invest in them so that, yeah, as we've said, kind of, mm. they grow and mature and, and become the leaders in our community eventually. I came out here thinking I couldn't be less interested in sport. But talking to these boys about what they're learning, about their teammates, about their coaches, I can see it's not about league, or at least not just about league. I ask them what they want to do next. David wants to be a social worker. Do you feel prepared for university? No, this was like our second home. Pretty good. Well, this is my first. <laughs> and why social work? Because I joined um, the Rising. It's this program, this leadership program, and one of the coordinators, like, he, he's like one of my inspirations. Like, he's like, I reckon he's one of, the, oh, like he's good. Like, oh, it's good to look up to him. Yeah, yeah. is he a social worker? Yeah. yeah. And then what I saw, like, the work he does, like, I was like, oh, yo, I want to be like him. So, yeah, that's how I wanted to be a social worker. Yeah. And will you do it in this community? And you work? Yep. Yeah. I'll probably come to the school. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a bit intimidating interviewing young people. They see right through you and it's impossible to bullshit them. But we sat in the shade of a tree and spent a bit of time together and the boys opened up about something that happened earlier in the year. Well, there was three ups and downs and stuff. For, um, how we call them, play the semi-finals. Um, because something didn't happen and they couldn't play. <laughs> the boys were having a good run of it when they had to forfeit the semi-finals. Kaipati said the coaches tried to break the news to them as best they could. They tried to buy us subways. <laughs> they had all the food ready. Like. And we were like, yo, we have a cake, we have a cake. Yo, yo. Oh, so and sad. then they announced that. <laughs> and we were eating angry. <laughs> it took a while before the boys told us what the incident was that led to the forfeit. But eventually, Kaipati explained. Oh, because we had our away game over at Southern Cross. And um, we heard that um, this other school was going to come and... Um, Violence or something, and they'll bring some weapons over. So um, we didn't know if that was true or not. But for the, uh, I think, for um, our safety, our coach and the principal said um, not to go because they didn't know if it was true or not. So yeah, we missed out on the semi-finals. We had to default the game. This brought me down with a bang. We'd come to Otara and spent the morning in this beautiful school, and it was all manaki and hope and uplifting experiences. We'd spoken to these boys, their teachers and supporters, who were all so amped for their future. And then hearing that they had to forfeit the game because another school might come and attack them with weapons at a school league match? It's not the sort of thing the All Blacks are having to deal with, is it? Tussie told us what that was like. Our team were looking towards the, uh, the finals. That's what all of our goal was. And uh, Just because the incident happened and uh, made us didn't like, take place in the finals. This was probably my... This year, like, like working hard in that, mm. and I'm pretty sure it's most of the boys, just because we wanted to get there, like in the finals, play at Mount Smart, because we knew we had the best team. When you lost like two games, yeah, 
Raiden is one of the younger players, but he was captain when it all went down. That must have been full on for you, though, when when the, the default happened and you would have had to carry that for everyone. Yeah, I was pretty um gutted <laughs> that happened. I didn't even know what happened, but I came back the next day and all that stuff happened. Being part of a team, working towards a common goal, coping with losing. That's amazing. This is like the key shit to life, resilience. This is Jo McFarlane. She's a clinical psychologist. We also met at Middlemore when I was on my fourth year placement and she was doing her doctorate. We filled Jo in on Vi's project and told her about the league team, including the whole forfeiting the semi-finals thing. She was really positive about that, which seemed a bit strange until she explained it. They had built themselves up, and that's, you know, that's really nice mental health stuff too, to only be crushed. Now, how to, and, and that's, you know, the boring cliche of life is it's how you respond, you know. And in rugby, it's, it's a, there's a, a lot of response going on during the game, after the game, and training throughout the week. And that's, that's really clarified something for me because you, you don't kind of pick up when you're in the situation, but they were talking about being gutted. And to be able to say gutted. that yeah, as yeah, young yeah. men, you know, to actually have a feeling. And that's what, <laughs> and that's what we, we, I do sometimes in therapy is, is use their language. So much of the language we use when we're talking about rangatahi, around mental health and resilience and support, all that stuff, that's not the language they use when they're talking about themselves. I was asking the boys about mental health and I wanted them to echo things Vi and I had talked about and I felt like they weren't giving it to me. And now I'm reflecting, actually, of course they were. So Dr Vi was talking about how he thinks sports is a gateway, yeah. like it's, a, it's not just about sports, that, it, that you get other stuff from it as well. Would you agree or do you just like the sport? No, yeah, no, because um, brotherhood comes in there too and... Um, you get like create bonds with um, the other year levels. So, because we are friends, then we get we start bonding with the uh, twelve boys and year elevens, and I'm um, like we train together and all that. And why is that important to you guys? So that like we have each other's backs on and off the field. Um, whenever anyone needs help, we can just lend them a hand or something. Having a team netball team, having a softball team that they go to every week. It just it's a, it's a signpost in the week that says these are my people that I can go and feel comfortable with. We're working towards a common goal. I'm getting fit in the process. I'm laughing. You know, all the awesome stuff for mental health. You know, we, we talk about it being in the mind, mm-hmm. but actually, of course, it's physical and, 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 the, and the mind. And then the social part of our mental health, you know, it could be amazing. Using sport, I suppose, because mm. you wouldn't want to just say rugby. But using sport as a, as a framework to bring all of the stuff we've been talking about into children's lives in the language that they give a shit about. Back at Sir Edmund Hillary Collegiate, Kitty Tuketo reckons the plans for the Sports Academy will mean that teachers will need to rethink their approach in order to better build on kids' strengths. You throw a ball into a crowd of teenagers or you throw something that resembles a ball, if it's round or if it's <laughs> egg shape, suddenly they're playing tag, they're playing touch, they're playing rugby. So it's naturally occurring. So that's what we're tapping into. And what we're doing is we're asking the teachers to change their, their teaching and learning and their, we're asking them to be adaptable. We're saying rather than getting this child to sit in front of you at a wooden desk or a plastic desk, asking them to pick up a pencil, we're asking you now to look at ways of coming from their perspective of this is their love, 
Now, I want you to integrate some of that teaching and learning into their love so that they walk out of your classroom still in love Mm. with coming to class. What I love about this is that it's so centred around the kids' needs, the pupils rather than the school or the education system. From what I can see, healthcare often fails us where it's being designed around an institution's needs rather than people. Mental health, of course, as you well know, is completely broken. I work in primary mental health, um, which is sort of GP referrals. Um, so we have a limited amount of um, sessions we can have with a client. And then we have secondary mental health, which is acute. Mm. You know, really, you have to be basically hanging off Auckland Harbour Bridge to kind of get it. And I hate to say that, but, you know, there are just so few clinicians. And and so I'm, I'm often lamenting in my mind, like, Oh, it's so hard working in this system where I feel like there's a massive swathe of people who um, have no Mm. option. And then I kind of go in my mind, like, what can you do? The early interventions Vi and Kitty are putting effort into at Sir Edmund Hillary Collegiate, building on strengths, building resilience, they make so much sense when you think about our overloaded mental health system. Jo agrees. And I think it has to, it's got to start. It's got to start at these sorts of initiatives. And we kind of have to go, let's make the most of what we've got at the moment and do the best we can, but, but really put the energy into mm. what are these models that can actually tick each aspect of health, not just mm. putting a plaster on somebody. What, how can we do, do exactly mm. what the school maybe is doing or, mm. you know, and, and get that going nationally, not mm. just in little tiny pockets? It's not a panacea either. It's naive to think that just because these boys turn up to rugby, they'll sail through life. I mean, even playing matches comes with challenges for these guys, as we've seen. And I'm wary about the idea that what brown kids are good for is sport. But so is Principal Kitty. It's unacceptable to assume that all brown children should be holding a ball or should be on the field. Vainga knows how I feel, but yet I'm really supportive of what he's trying to bring into our school. But then I'll also turn around and say, actually, while our kids are engaging in the sport area, if you just look past them and look over their shoulder, you'll see another huge group of kids who are swaying in the wind, who are moving naturally, who are starting to pick up pencils or paintbrushes or a camera or a mouse. So those are the kids that we have to address too. You can see the sense of all of this. If there's a strength, you build on it, and fundamentally, this is about giving kids the best possible start and also tools to cope in a world that's not always easy or fair. That's the hope is that, you know, we can't ever guarantee that they may or may not make good or bad decisions, but we're wanting to put things around them that will motivate them but also help them navigate their Mm. development as Mm. they grow and as, as they mature so that hopefully by the time they leave the school gates at you're 13 and when they're 18 that they've they've got some they can assess risk eh? yeah Mm, they've mm. got some depth about them Mm. character wise and Mm. obviously supported in terms of their learning so that they've got tools that will serve them well Mm. so that when they do come across those environments that they they can hopefully make the best decisions Mm. they can after the interview the boys walked us into the middle school prize giving Olympic 
bronze medal recipient is... Vi was on stage giving out prizes, and we snuck in the back, sitting with the parents, holding our microphones up alongside their iPhones. And seeing as how we were in the neighbourhood, there was one more little stop I couldn't not make on our way home. So where are we? Yes, so we're at Middlemore Hospital, and it's a really funny thing because I love it here and there's no real logic to it. <laughs> it's really hard to learn your way around. It took me the whole year and I was still discovering new places um, when I left, and yet it feels like the place that I want to be. Noelle and I stood together in one of the endless corridors, and I could see her looking around, hearing me raving on about it, but seeing only a big, leaky building full of sick people. We're just you know. in a very long corridor. Yeah, so it's the Rainbow Corridor. So One of the consultants that I was placed with at Middlemore learned greetings and phrases in seven different languages so that she could improve her rapport with patients. There's a give-a-shit factor among the people who work there, which, unfortunately, doesn't exist everywhere in our health system. And it's really obvious to us as students. We see everything, because we're often overlooked from our position on the lowest rung of the hospital hierarchy. If we have our eyes open, we can see the best and the absolute worst among the people whose ranks we're aspiring to join. The Prime Minister recently announced $210 million to fix those crappy buildings, which is nice, but it isn't the buildings that make this place special for me. I saw far more good than bad at Middlewall Hospital, and that's because of the people. The Vaingas, the kiddies, all the families that make up the South Auckland community that this hospital is here to serve. He tāngata ne. Our school choir will now entertain us with an ice cream smile. Getting Better is an original series from Bird of Paradise Productions for RNZ. The show is hosted by me, Emma Espiner, and written by me and Noelle McCarthy. Noelle McCarthy was the senior producer, John Daniel was the script editor, and Gabriel Baker was our consulting producer. Sound design and mixing by Andre Upston, music by Pitch Black with thanks to Paddy Free and Michael Hodgson. Our main title graphics and episode illustrations are by Gabriel Baker. Kay Almers is RNZ's Senior Commissioner, and Tim Burnell is the Commissioning Coordinator. Thanks also for the support from RNZ Kurahotu Māori, Shannon Honui-Thompson. This series was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. <laughs>